Well, glory to God. You know, God is so good and thank the Lord that His body was broken for us. Now, well, I'm excited today to speak on uh, Ephesians, Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Now, for those of you that just uh, slotted in or just watching this um, recording, we're having a web church. So if you want to slot in to our live stream, it is um, on Eastern Standard Time. I think that's what you call it. New York time, let me put it that way, uh, 9.30 uh, in the morning, uh, uh, US for, for the folk in the US, and then South Africa, 3.30 p.m. Uh, so if you just see this, because only from here on, we, uh, we put uh, our message on the web available, it's a, where it's available for people to watch afterwards. Everything before this, the previous, um, you know, like 20 minutes was, uh, was just for the web family. So uh, today I'm going to talk on Ephesians chapter 2. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, we were seeing that God said that He had a certain plan and a purpose with man. This plan and purpose with man was that we would experience His quality of life, that He would share His life with us, and that He would basically live in us and just bring uh, who He is forth in us, and that we would actually have uh, immortality on a planet that's glorified, wherein God could come in the cool of the day and fellowship with us, and so that this fellowship that there was with the Father and the Son, uh, you know, and the Holy Spirit would be extended towards more than just the Trinity. Uh, and that He made possible for us sharing His Spirit with us so that we can walk in the very same Spirit. And the Spirit of God possesses the power to raise us up into exactly who God really is. Now, when we go and look at Ephesians chapter 2, we see just the power of this, um, you know, this, this resurrection power, what it really is, and how powerful it is when we look at the people in Ephesus. Now, the people in Ephesus uh, had a very, very sinful life. And by just hearing a simple message of, you have died um, in Christ, that every human effort to try and attain to the level of God, be it through any pagan false religion or any um, idol worship has been taken away. God came close to man in Jesus Christ, has washed away the sin of the whole world by just preaching that and people hearing and believing that in Ephesus, they were completely set free from sin. And they were so set free that, uh, that Paul was actually amazed to hear about this wonderful testimony of what was happening in Ephesus. Even when Paul was preaching there, the power was of the gospel was so great, and this power was not only available then, but it is available everywhere, and it is the power of God. It was so great that their, um, the selling of the idols, you know, was going down. The sales of the idols were going down, and, you know, there were people very upset, and, oh, you know, the whole, the whole history about that. And we're going to just watch a, a short three-minute three clip on Ephesus as well today. You know, when we can just see how bad and how evil and how wicked, uh, you know, the pe people were living in that time. And when they heard the truth, Christ raised them up into a brand new life. So what Paul said in Romans as well, he says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, where we are saved from the flesh, where we are saved from sins, and when we are saved from death. 
Now, that salvation power is made available through the love of God that He has for man. God is love. And the gospel of Jesus Christ does talk about the love of God. But at the end of the day, the gospel is not just the message of God loves you. The gospel is the message that will bring forth that which God wants in your life, which is for you to know what it is to have in, uh, uh, eternal peace in your heart. To know what it is to look at somebody that persecutes someone else and then have love in your heart for that person to say, well, it is not him doing it, but it is the sin in him that brought, brings this forth. And the power he is under is on account of uh, his unbelief. Now, let us quickly look at this video of uh, what Ephesus was all about. It's just a three-minute video that I would like you to watch with me. And then I'm going to explain more about this resurrection power that was in the church in Ephesus. And we're also going to talk about how we... We today can live a life where we experience that power and what to look out for so that we don't find another power working in us. Here we go. Located on the most direct sea and land route to the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire, Ephesus was an emporium that had few equals in the world. No city in Asia was more famous or more populous. Ephesus was to the Roman Empire what perhaps New York City is to the United States today. It was also significant politically. It was the home of the Roman governor and was frequently the scene of very important trials. Ephesus was a notorious center of pagan superstition. It was famous for the Ephesian letters, amulets and charms which were supposed to be infallible remedies for sickness, to bring children to those who were childless, and to ensure success in any undertaking. And people came from all over the world to buy them. In Ephesus, pagan religion was at its strongest. It was the center of worship for Artemis, or Diana. Diana was the goddess of fertility, life, and reproduction. So the worship of Diana was immoral beyond description. The temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Only the foundation and one column remains of this temple, which once measured 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, and 60 feet high. It once had 120 columns that each stood 60 feet tall. The center portion was roofed over with cypress wood and housed a statue of Diana that was considered to be the most sacred of the ancient world. This massive complex was the religious, cultural, and economic center of the city. It contained the Bank of Asia and, ironically, was also a haven for hardened criminals who could legally find refuge within its perimeter. The city's economy also depended upon the massive sales of figurines of the goddess Diana. Ephesus also contained an impressive theater that was able to hold 25,000 people, it was originally designed for theatrical performances, but later alterations allowed gladiatorial contests to be held there. It was in this theater that the mob gathered to rally against Paul the Apostle. The Church of Ephesus was probably founded by the Apostle Paul and two early Christians named Aquila and Priscilla. Paul ministered there for more than two years and later left Timothy there to carry on the work. Christian tradition holds that after Jesus' resurrection, the Apostle John brought Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
to Ephesus, where they took up residence during their remaining years. Even today, one can visit what is reportedly the gravesite of the Apostle John. It was in this economically wealthy, politically influential, and religiously corrupt city that a congregation of Christians met for worship, discipleship, and evangelism. And this was one of the churches that received a personal letter from Jesus Christ himself. Well, there you've, you've just heard what some of the historians say about Ephesus and what was going on there. You know, one of the biggest things that there was in Ephesus was obviously the worship of the goddess Diana. Now imagine a place where Diana is worshipped, where all kinds of criminals can come to and live and feel safe there because, you know, it's okay to commit all these crimes, um, where there's all kinds of idol worship, everything that your heart can imagine that is evil is there. And then uh, a guy comes in there, Paul the Apostle, that's not even very eloquent in how he presents the gospel, in what he says, obviously it was powerful, you know, but, um, you know, here comes a guy, uh, Apostle Paul preaches a very simple message about the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God was not excluding the Gentiles, but that they were included in the Messiah, that Jesus died their death, that Jesus took away all their labor to attain unto um, anything they wanted from their God, and that Jesus actually freely gave to every man righteousness, which everyone tried through his idol worship to attain to. And then he said, this Jesus will come back, and when he comes back, he will render to you according to what you've done in your body, which is, when you believed upon him, he will make you immortal. When they believed that, all of a sudden they exploded into love, they exploded into kindness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness. They started to love all people. They started to love Jews. They loved Gentiles. And they were just set free. If you go and read Revelation chapter 2, these people that lived such um, tremendous sinful lives were so set free that God in Jesus said that I took note of the good works that was manifested in you and that you were just, uh, uh, you know, like you were bearing the light in that darkness. Now, uh, the gospel of Jesus is so powerful that it could even raise up these people that were dead in their sins in Ephesus. So we should never underestimate the power of just believing the gospel. Now, I, uh, this morning I said, and I want to say this again, where did Paul get to this whole thing of faith? We don't find uh, a record of where, um, you know, any of the apostles taught Paul on how we should have faith unto salvation. But we see Paul talking about faith all the time. We see that Jesus appeared to the apostle Paul, showed him the things that he should suffer. Then he believed in Jesus. And after he believed, his life completely changed. And that's what happened to the life of Paul. But where did Paul get this whole concept of faith? Even here, people say today, you know, that um, you know, faith was not preached by the the apostles of the Lamb, which was the twelve apostles, you know, in the early message. It, they just declared a truth. But where did Paul get to this revelation of faith? I believe that a lot of the things that the apostle Paul wrote in the Bible was out of first-hand or experiential knowledge. So what happened to Paul was he knew Jesus died. Then he was persecuting Jesus. But after Jesus appeared to him 
and declared to him things that was unlawful to say, which means that he declared that to Paul that the law was fulfilled, that Jew and Gentile, the whole system passed away, that he was righteous before God on account of what Christ has done for him, that through one sacrifice he has been perfected. When Jesus declared those things to Paul, Paul believed it, and when he believed it, he found the power of it in his life, and he found a brand new life. He found that which, that which he believed unto, which was Christ, all of a sudden manifesting in him, giving him a brand new life. And from there he came to the conclusion, I believe, that when you believe this truth, you find you've got access into this grace, which is available for everybody, and therefore you will find a life born from it when you believe it. So um, that's why Paul, I believe, was talking all the time about belief, belief, belief. Not as a law, not as a command, but just as something that is, that is true. When you believe something, you find it start to manifest what you believe in, in your life. That's why he would say that we've got access through faith, you know, into this grace. And we need to understand this to go and look at Ephesians chapter 2. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, and let me uh, read Ephesians 2 from verse, um, verse 1 there. It says, And you Gentiles in Ephesus, has he quickened, uh, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Um, now, now, that is a very important part. What he's saying is, he says, listen, you guys, you Gentiles, were dead in your sins. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean that if you commit a sin, then you've, then you've died, you know, and then God doesn't want anything to do with you. What he meant there is, the original plan that God had with you, the original you, the person that is made to function in love, that's been made to be a friend of God, didn't even exist anymore because of the abundance of sins that was manifesting in, uh, uh, in their lives. We can even look at a person that's on a sick bed. Uh, if, if a person is on a sick bed, I've heard so many people say this, you know, when people are close to death, if it's a loved one that's close, close to death, they would say, you know, who this person really is, is not even alive anymore. It is just a body living there and then this sickness took over this body and is now living in this body. And the real person that I always knew is not there anymore. In the very, that is what he was saying about the people in Ephesus. He said, you guys were so dead. You know, and why was all that death there? Because of legalism. What was the legalism? If I pray to this God, if I have this charm, if I do this good thing, I am defined by how much money I have. I am defined by what I can do, my own ability. It brought forth all manner of sins in these people. But listen, um, you know, and then he goes on and he says that that power of death is still working in the sons of disobedience. Now, what is disobedience in the New Testament? Disobedience in the New Testament can only be defined according to the declaration or that which we need to obey. How do we obey a declaration? Jesus Christ comes and declares that He has got the power over death. He declares us forgiven. So what is there to obey? Obedience would be to believe what He says. Disobedience would be not to believe that. 
So he says here that when we don't believe that we are righteous, when we don't believe that we are holy, when we don't believe that we are forgiven, we will find all manner of sin in us. It's like this friend that sent me this, uh, this uh, link, you know, very, very graphic pictures on, um, uh, uh, you know, how, how some of the Muslims are killing Christians, you know, in Iraq. And, you know, I was, and I was thinking, why are they doing that? They're doing that because they don't believe they're innocent. They're doing that because they don't believe they are forgiven. They're doing that because they don't know that God has made, out of all people groups, you know, Jew and Gentile, one new man, and has reconciled that man unto God. They don't know that they live and move and have their being in God. They live from the perspective of they serving a God, and they serve that God and do that God a favor by killing others. And because of their unbelief in the truth, we find how this drastic, um, you know, power, just this drastic, absolute spirit of murder that takes over these people's lives and how they destroy the lives of Christians. I mean, what needs to go on in a person's heart that he could find it uh, uh, good to decapitate a baby? Um, it, it's really the power of the flesh. And that power is um, accessed by unbelief in the good news of Jesus, which says that God has made of the two, which was Jew and Gentile, one brand new man, and in the cross reconciled that man unto God. So we don't live as slaves anymore. We don't live as servants anymore. We now live as the God kind who can believe unto our holiness, who can believe unto our righteousness. When you believe that as the only truth in your life, and there is no doubt in your mind that that is the only reality about you, my friend, I want to tell you the power that raised Jesus from the dead is what will raise you up into a new life. It can set the Muslim free. It can set the people in Ephesus free as well. So here we see that clearly. Now, there's something important that, that I'm getting at in this message. I'm going to talk about how we're supposed to deal with, uh, you know, this, this war in Israel concerning the Jews. Um, th that's where I'm going at, you know, as Christians. How do we handle that? Now, let's just read on quickly and see what it says in the next verse there. It says in verse 3, now, just, just go back to verse, uh, verse 1. It says there, um, And you, Gentiles in Ephesus, has he quickened. So he says, you Gentiles in Ephesus, he has made you alive who were dead in your sins. Okay, why were you dead in your sins? Verse 2, very clearly there. Because we can even see the death in the people that are disobedient, you know, because the spirit of sin works in them. Then he goes on, he says, among whom also we, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. So here Paul comes and he says, you Gentiles were quickened. But let me tell you something. We also were dead in our trespasses and sins. Who's the we he talks about? He talks about the Jews. He said to the Gentiles, he says, listen, you guys in Ephesus, I want, to, I want you to know something. The reason why you have this holiness in your life, the reason why you have this righteousness in your life, the reason why you've got this brand new life is because Christ's resurrection power has quickened you unto this. 
This is not a secret set of obedience to rules. This is not your willpower bringing this forth. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that has brought this forth. But let me tell you something, and, and I believe Paul said this, preparing them for the Judaizers that would also come to all the places where he was preaching. Paul said there was a thorn in the flesh given to him, which was preachers that would follow the Apostle Paul and go to all the towns that he would preach at and then Judaize all these people and say to them, you know that God's special people are the Jews and the only way you can have life is by becoming Judaized, which is you as Gentiles can have access to the Messiah by being circumcised. But Paul says we've got access into this grace by faith, not circumcision. And he actually comes here and he says, you know what? Our law system and rule system and the fact that we are Jews didn't save us from sin. He didn't have the power to save us from sin. And as we see here, we see clearly in verse 2, he says uh, in chapter 2 verse 1, he has quickened in the red there, uh, you as, as, as Gentiles in Ephesus, he has quickened you. And then in verse 3, I've put it in, the, in red there for you. Also we had our conversation, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So here he comes and he says, we as Jews were just in the very same boat as the Gentiles. The fact that we had the law, the fact that we were the people to whom the law was given, the fact that we were the nation that God adopted as the nation to whom the law and all the oracles of God was given, all the prophetic words, didn't set them free from sin. It couldn't set them free from the death that was in them and that Jesus had to come and take away the sin of the Jews and the sin of the Gentiles, for both Jew and Gentile were in the same sinking boat in need of a lifesaver, Jesus Christ. And that is what he is, what he is, what he is saying there. And let's just go there again to the verse 4. He says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we, that we there, I believe, talks about Jew and Gentile together, were dead in our sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Now what is this together he talks about? That together is twofold. We were raised up together with Christ. What The context, the true context about this verse, and people I want to tell you, I've studied this out for the last three weeks. The true context of this verse is that we were raised unto the very same life, possessed by the resurrected Jesus on account of the Holy Spirit when we believe that we are fully innocent, that we are fully forgiven, fully righteous, and that we have got a right unto God made perfect by one sacrifice. When we believe that, we find this awesome power quickening us. Now, he says there that he quickened us unto the life of Christ, but the word together there is used many times. And what he's trying to get at is that the Jews were raised unto the life of Christ and the Gentiles were raised unto the life of Christ. So, in heaven, the Jew doesn't have a higher seat than the Gentile. We are seated together. For we had the same power that saved us. We had the same blood that washed us. We have the same Messiah, 
the Messiah of the Jew, is the Messiah of the Gentile, and He saved us and put us all together in one. And now we are seated together as one new kind of a being, where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, but just God's man in the heavens together with Christ. Okay, so what he comes and he does, and what Paul does here, he wants the church in Ephesus never to go back to the law. He wants them never to find an opportunity for the law. Because he knew, they're going to come people and they're going to say, you know, the Jews are the special people of God. Now, please listen to me, and, and you know, I, I know this is a very, very sensitive topic. I am not anti-Semitic. I love all people. And we want all people to be saved. We want all people to come to the truth. We want the, the Jews to be happy. We want them to have their own land. We want them to have all those things. We, do, we want peace for the Jew. We want peace for Israel. We want peace for the South African. We want peace for every person. Because after all, the Bible says that Jesus Christ came and declared peace unto the Jew and peace unto the Gentiles. So we don't just pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We want the peace of mankind, which manifested, which is Jesus. Um, you know, He is our peace. And here we can see He made of the two one new man. Just a quick recap. How did this new, new thing happen? This is what it says in Romans. Jews were seen as sinners. Gentiles were seen as sinners. They were all, God concludes that all man is a sinner. And that because you've got Jewish flesh, it couldn't justify you. Justify means to set you free from your sin. You couldn't. They were still bound in sin. Um, they were still bound in hatred and, and, and stealing money and sleeping around and all those kind of things. They were never free for the law cannot set you free. Neither can your flesh set you free. The Gentiles, look at the people in Ephesus. Oh my goodness. They were murdering each other. They were having sexual orgies as worship to their goddess Diana. They were praying to all these different kinds of idols and who knows what, you know. That's what they were busy with. But when the true message was preached that your sins are taken away, the system of your works to be righteous before God is taken away. Righteousness is a free gift to every man. There is no more Jew, or, Jew and Gentile. You stand now on equal foot with God. You, he, he sets you free from the power and the bondage you're in and He will even make you immortal and He's coming back. When they believe that simple message, an explosion of life uh, in them, both Jew and Gentile. And now we are seated together in heaven. There's no difference there. Let's go on to the... Okay, let me bring this in here now. When we look at the war that Israel is in, how are we supposed as Christians to handle that? Now, number one, let's just talk on a political, uh, from a political perspective. If you are in a country that's an ally of, the, um, of Israel, and you are with Israel in war when they are in war, and you are in the army and you are part of that country, obviously you're going to support your army. My goodness, you're going to fight and you're going to listen to what that lieutenant tells you, and you're going to be busy with what you must be busy with. But even as a Christian... If you're watching this and you're out uh, 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 in this war, you know, let me tell you this, as a Christian, we cannot make it God's war. We cannot say, you know, God hates the Palestines and God loves the Jews. 
we, we cannot say that because the moment we say that, we get to a place where we are anti what Christ has done. Christ has ended the, the, the whole system of Jew-Gentile. He has brought in the system which is so powerful that can, it can raise us up into a brand new holy life. And when we find this thing of let's favor one nation above the other nation, it's called racism. It, it is just, even in South Africa here, without any Bible or anything, it's just wrong. We just can't do that. We can't favor one group above the other group. The same price was paid for all. And we extravagantly love all people. And we say that the Jews, as they are today, are blinded, for, you know, by the law in not believing in Christ. And the Palestinians are also blinded. And we don't make this an ethnic thing. We don't make this a nation thing. We just say, well, just for pol pol political reasons, I think maybe Israel should win the war. Okay, we can say for political reasons. But the moment we make it a Jesus thing, what we do is we re-implement the law and we are withdrawing ourselves from the very power that will raise us up into a holy, righteous life. You'll find you start to think thoughts of hatred towards other nations. You'll start to feel that you hate Muslims. You'll start to feel that, you know, they should be wiped off the planet, off the planet and then you will say, oh God, please forgive me for having such a thought. And you'll find your mind will become dirty. You will not think the way Jesus thought about those who nailed him to the cross. You'll find it impossible to say it is not him who sinned, but it is uh, the sin in him on account of the law that he is under. Uh, and you will find yourself getting to a place where your heart gets open for legalism and law, and you can find the power of sin revive in you, and all kinds of hatred and bitterness uh, will come your way. So when we look at the Apostle Paul, we see what he writes in, in Ephesus here. And I want to just say, as a warning, let us love all people. Let us see death that happens in the lives of people. If we see Muslims killing Christians, we don't say the bad Muslim. We say, look at the ministration of death written on stones, operating in the life of a person. Let us see how deadly that is, that we don't want anything to do with that. That we say, let us preach love and acceptance and grace and mercy in such a way that when a person that has the, the voice of God speaking to him, telling him this is wrong and somehow hear a radio broadcast or somehow pick up a paper with a gospel message on it, that they can find repentance come to their heart, where they feel accepted. You must realize the Apostle Paul was a murderer of the church. He was a murderer of the church. Jesus appeared to him. And what did he tell him when he appeared to him on the road to Damascus? He took him into the third heaven. What did he tell him? He told him, he, he told him things that was unlawful for a man to say. What was unlawful? It was not lawful by the Jewish law of that time to say there's no more Jew and Gentile. It was not lawful to say you should not worry about the customs of Moses anymore. It was not lawful to say you know that uh, the Gentiles are part of the people of God. It was not lawful to say that the Gentiles aren't sinners. Uh, it was not lawful to say that the sins of all people are washed away. It was not lawful to say that a human being is seated in the Trinity that I see a man in, at the right hand of God. But that is what God declared to a man that was killing the church. 
Do you see the power of the gospel in the life of Paul, where he was raised up into a brand new life? So people, let us stick with a simple gospel of God's grace. Amen. Let us go on. Um, next verse here. It says in verse 7, um, that in the ages, he says here basically, that we were now in Christ, and he put us uh, you know, in Jesus Christ, and we are seated with Christ, and we see his life starting to manifest in us. And now in verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us, or on, uh, towards us through or on account of Jesus Christ. So what he's actually saying here is, I don't have time to explain all of that, I'm running out of time here. Um, what he's saying here is that Christ will eventually make us immortal, that in the dispensation to come he will make us immortal. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, Paul had a revelation of faith. Remember that I've just explained to you that revelation of faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. I want you to focus on those words in the red there. Uh, you are saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves, nor of works. Now, you know, I've, I've studied this verse out and I realized in the context that not of yourselves, when it talks about uh, the salvation there, he says you are saved. You've been saved from all the sin. You've been saved from death. You have a brand new life in you. This is not of yourself. It is, um, you know, we've, because by faith we've got access into this grace. It is by the grace of God we are saved from these sins. And we had access into this grace through faith. It is not of yourself. The salvation is not of yourself. What does he mean by saying it is not of yourself? Remember, he says two things there. Look at, look at what I've got there. Oh, um, I don't know why this happened now. Verse 12 here, oh, verse, verse 9. Not of yourselves, not of works. Not of yourselves, end of verse 8, beginning 9, not of works. So he says here that this salvation you have is not of yourself and it's not of works. What does that mean? Not of yourself, not because you are a Gentile. Not because you are now another special group that God has now favored. Therefore, you have been set free. It's got nothing to do with your flesh and it's got nothing to do with your works. For we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which He before ordained, in the last two Sundays I spoke on that, God before ordained that we should have His quality of life. And now you are seeing this quality of life, church, on account of the resurrection power of Jesus. I said last Sunday and I'm saying it again. Don't say when you find anything good in your life, that this good in my life must just be because I'm just this good person. No, it is Christ living in you. It is the resurrection power of Christ. My goodness, it's working. Christ in the whole gospel scheme is working in your life, my friend. Hallelujah, isn't that good news? And then he goes on, if we just go to the next verse, and let me just quickly um, get into that. And I'm going to end off with that. He came and there was... Um, there's a universal new man. Let's read verse 11 to 15, and I'm going to end off with that. Wherefore, remember that being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, this was a Gentiles now, 
who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, the flesh made by hand. So it says you were, you were uh, Gentiles and you were called Gentiles by the Jews. That in that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So they had no hope, nothing. They had no contact with God because they had no law. There was no God, didn't even speak to them. Then it goes on, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made both one. Do you see the universal recreation here? God took Jew and Gentile and made both one and broke down the middle wall of separation. How did he make them one? He took the law away. The law was what distinguished the two people groups. So if the law is away, taken away, what makes the Jew special? Nothing. He's just special because he's God's people as much as what the because he's a human and the human is in the image of God verse 15 and having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law and commandments contained in ordinances for to make of him of himself in himself of two one new man so making peace so here we see that God came in Jesus oh um, let me just go back to that's it so here we see that God came in Jesus took a Jew took a Gentile took what brought the separation between the Jew and the Gentile away. When that was taken away, there was only one man, because there was the man with the law, and there was a man without a law. I'm talking about the written law. So when he took the written law away from this guy, there was no more law. So you don't live by the law, for Jesus fulfilled the law. You don't live by the law, for he fulfilled the law. And he universally recreated mankind into a new kind of a man. The message translation even says into a new special kind of man. This man now is the being that doesn't have access to God by works or laws. This new man is now the man that has life through faith in Jesus Christ. So what we do as Christians, and I end off with this. Man, I just ran out of time. I've got so much more to say. What we do as Christians is we preach the new man. And those who can clothe themselves with a new man will be renewed in everyday life through the knowledge they have of the new man they became in Christ, which is one that sins are taken away, which is one that stands innocent before God, which is one that has been perfected. And from this belief and knowledge of the new that you have become when God took, uh, took the two, made them one and reconciled that one unto God, you will find that you will not just be reconciled by the ending of the law, but you will even have your works in everyday life reconciled unto the very deeds of Christ and you'll be generous, loving, free because of Him. Amen and amen. Well, I want to thank you so much for watching this with, uh, you know, um, together. I'm almost uh, watching it with me because I'm watching the camera right next to the um, lens here. I'm watching myself. Enjoyed this message, and I trust that you've enjoyed it yourself uh, as well. So you can, if, if this message has blessed you, please go, and it will be uploaded um, in about two, three hours from now. It will be available on the web. Uh, please share it with your friends. People need to watch this. They need to be set free from bondage. And we don't want people to go back into the law by favoritism towards certain nations. God is not a respecter of a person. Please know that I love the Jews. 
I love the Gentiles. I love all people. And that is how God loves them. And we want to walk in that freedom. Also expect. Say to yourself. Say, say, to, say to God. Say, God, this body is available for your resurrection power. It is available for your life. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to play out with a beautiful song from Godfrey again. Uh, know this, that God loves you, that His smile is over you, and that He will always bless you with His love. Amen. There's a lot of pain, but a lot more healing. There's a lot of trouble. 